Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Good morning. It's great to be in God's house, isn't it? And to think that God himself invited us to his house. That's awesome when you think about that, that God invited us to his house. Take your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and in a few moments we're going to read the first three verses of that chapter. We're continuing in Pastor Dan's sermon series, Practice, filling the gap between theology and practice, making sure how we live matches what we say we believe. We saw first doing the small things can make a huge difference in our lives and in the lives of others. Then last week we saw by looking at Gideon how we need to have a proper view of self and the circumstances and the situations we find ourselves in. But even more so, we need confidence in who God is and what He can do and how we must choose obedience over disobedience no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Today we want to look at what the Hebrew preacher wrote about the most important race we'll ever, ever run. Do you recognize what this is? Uh, let me tell you what this is just in case you don't recognize it. You might think it's just some old beat-up aluminum pipe by the looks of it. But if you ever ran track or you had a kid who ran track, you would recognize that this is a baton that the runners hand off to each other in a relay race. And who wins the race is often determined by how well the runners do in handing off the baton. Uh, Is it a clean handoff? Do they fumble it a bit when they're making the exchange? Does the runner have to slow down when giving it or receiving it? Who wins the race is often determined, maybe always determined, by how well they do in handing off the baton. Now, this particular one, this isn't just some run-of-the-mill ordinary baton. No, this one is a precious treasure. At least that's how my daughter Ashley views it. Ashley has a treasure box at our home from her high school days. Why? I don't know. I don't have a clue. And she promises that someday she's going to take it to her home. She's going to be 38 years old next week. And she still hasn't taken her treasure box. One year, I wrapped it up as a Christmas present, and she was so excited to open it, only to find what it was. Even then, she didn't take it to her home. She's lived in seven or eight different places since high school and has never taken her treasure box home. So, so I'm not sure when or if she's ever going to get it. Maybe when we die. I doubt it. She'll leave it for her sister to clean up. So, so we've been storing this treasure box for 20 years. In that box is her letter jacket from high school where she won, won letters or earned letters in cross country and track. There's a, num- a numerous trophies and medals she earned from running. She has a wood shoe in there that she had to wear for weeks during her freshman year in high school after she broke her big toe just from the force and pounding of running. And how after being cleared to run, she went out two weeks later and set the record in the 3,200-meter run. That that record for her high school still stood until just a couple years ago. She also has a stuffed cheetah 
in that box. Because while her high school team was the Wald Lake Central Vikings, the girls' track team called themselves the Cheetahs because of how fast they were. And then another thing she kept in that treasure box was this baton that she and three other girls used whenever they ran the 4x800. And in one particular race, Ashley was the anchor of the team, and she brought her A game that day. And not only did they win the race, but they set the school record. The baton, it's all beat up. If you look inside of it, there's red marks that the girls put in there with nail polish to mark every time they won a race. There's a little piece of a cheetah material in there that they use for motivation. And after they won the race, when they set the school record, the coach gave this baton to Ashley so she'd always remember the race where she set the school record. So she put it in her treasure box. Anybody who has ever run a relay race where you had to hand off a baton to the next runner knows that generally speaking, that's where the race is won or lost. If there's a smooth transition, if the runner's taking up, doesn't go too fast or doesn't have to slow down to wait for the handoff, if the runners don't fumble the baton, if the runner coming up can just smack it right into the hand of the runner ready to explode into a sprint, that really does determine who's going to win the race. The handing off of the baton determines who's going to win the race. In that 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we see the writer handing off the baton to those first readers in the most important race they'll ever run in their lives. And now we need to understand the baton is being handed off to you and me in the most important race we'll ever run. He starts off that first verse of, of chapter 12 with the word therefore. That word therefore is the baton. It's connecting everything he has just said in chapter 11 uh, with, with what he's going to say in chapter 12. And if you go back to chapter 11, you'll see it is what has been called the Hall of Fame of Faith chapter. He listed person after person after person who lived their life by faith. Abel and Enoch and, and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Gideon. He continues just person after person. And, and then he spoke of those who faced Great, great persecution because of their faith, but refused to recant. He told of those who were stoned to death and those who were put to death by the sword and those who were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated for no other reason but their belief and faith in Jesus Christ, and yet they didn't give up. They didn't quit. They won the race. They were running. And now the Hebrew preacher was saying, first to those first readers and now to you and me, you need to learn to run the race the way they did. They're handing you the baton. That's exactly what he's talking about in that very first verse when he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That great cloud of witnesses is not just some crowd cheering us on. But it's those in chapter 11 and others, those who have already finished the course and won the race, no matter what difficulty they faced, they didn't give up. They didn't compromise. They lived by faith. They kept running, and they won. And they're now encouraging us to run the race the way they did. They're handing us the baton. Now, this Hebrew writer isn't the only one who, who compared this life of faith we're living with a race. The Apostle Paul, uh, when compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, knowing he was probably going to face incredible hardship and persecution, said, 
I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And to the Galatians, he challenged them by writing, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And to the Corinthians, he said, do you not know in a race all, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And then near the end of his life, he's writing to Timothy and he said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So over and over again, all throughout Scripture, this life of faith we are to be living is compared to a race we are to run. Now the Hebrew preacher at this point it isn't going to talk much about believing right. He, he has just done that for 10 chapters. He, he's told us who Jesus is. He, he's told us about the sacrifice he made. He warned us about falling away from the faith and how we need to leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. He had a whole lot to say about right beliefs and how important it is to believe right. But then we get to chapter 12, and he starts talking about it's not enough to believe right. you got to live right every single day. Uh, let's read those three verses again from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's first understand the, the course we are to be running. And, and the key phrase for us is seen in that first verse, the race marked out for us. It doesn't say the race we have marked out for ourselves, but rather the race marked out for us. For the followers of Jesus Christ, the course that has already been marked out for us, we need to understand what that is. And you understand that means you and I can't determine what the course is. And we can't change the course. It's already been marked out for us. Or we can determine whether we're going to run the course but we can't determine what the course is. And for us as Christ followers, the course that has been marked out for us, it's God's Word. It's the book. It's the book. There we are told explicitly and practically how we should run this race, what it means to live by faith. If someone insults us, we're told to turn the other cheek. If someone takes advantage of us and forces us to go one mile, we're told to go the second mile. That's the course we're to be running. We're told to love one another. We're told to even love our enemies. And then Paul had the audacity to write, love must be sincere. No faking it. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Listen to this. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Listen to this. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the course. We're to be running, and it will never change. We're told, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, we're told, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We're told it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. You see, we're not just told what we shouldn't do, but we're told what we should do. Should I go on? This is the course that has been marked out for us. This is the race we're to be running. This is what it means taking what we say we believe and translating it into how we're living every day. And by looking at those that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 and what they went through, we realize we don't have one valid reason for not running the course that's been laid out for us. If they did it, we can do it. We can't say it's too tough. You, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what they said about me. You, you don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how I was raised. You see, when it comes to this course, it really doesn't matter what others have done to us. It doesn't matter what that guy over there who calls himself a Christ follower but does this or that or the other. If it goes against God's Word, it's the wrong course to be on. And you can't finish the race and receive the prize if you're on the wrong course. If you're trying to design your own course, if you're trying to pick and choose which part of the Bible you're going to follow and which part you're not, there's no way you're going to finish the course and receive the prize. A course has already been marked out for us, and we need to choose to run that course. Well, obviously, after looking at that course, we realize how challenging that is to run. In fact, the Greek word translated here as race is agon, from which we get our English word agony. This is an agonizing, tough course to run. Let's look at the challenge of running this course, and more specifically, three directives a Hebrew preacher gives us about how to run this race. Three times he starts off the statement, a statement with the words, let us. And these three let us statements are absolutely key for us. Number one, he says in verse one, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I have no doubt any of us who have been around the church very long at all, 
would all agree that purposeful, willful, deliberate sin that we continually choose to involve ourselves in, sin that so easily entangles us, will stop us from winning the race. If there's sin in our life, we need to repent of it, turn away from it, walk away from it, run away from it, stop it. We can't live by faith if there's deliberate, willful, continual sin in our life. We won't be victorious in those battles that that are coming our way if there's deliberate, willful, continual sin in our life. Paul, using the strongest language possible, said to the Colossians, put to death. It's pretty strong. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices. And you see, I think probably all of us here would agree. To live by faith, to run this race, you got, you got to get rid of that sin that so easily entangles. But don't skip over the first part of that let us statement. Let us throw off everything that hinders. There, he's not talking about sin. He's not talking about us thumbing our noses at God and saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care what the Word says. I don't care what the course is that you've marked out for me. I can do my own thing. He's not talking about that. But he's talking about those things that may be in our life that aren't necessarily sinful, but they're hindering us from running the race, hindering us from living a life of faith. It could be misplaced priorities. It could be a a schedule jam-packed with important things, but so jam-packed we don't have time to spend in the Word or in prayer and being in worship and serving others. It it could be relationships or attitudes that that are detrimental. They're hindering us from running the race. So this first let us statement is saying, check yourself. Are are there any changes you need to make? Is there anything you need to throw off? Are there priorities that need to be shifted around so that running this race becomes your primary focus? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The next let us statement is let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance. That means possessing a never-give-up attitude. It's realizing, running this race, living by faith, it isn't always going to be easy, but still, we will not give up. We don't throw in the towel. We don't quit. When things don't go our way, when somebody verbally attacks us, we'll keep obeying. We'll keep following what the Word says, not what the world says. We'll refuse to compromise on God's Word. We'll refuse to get sucked into fights and arguments and disagreements and fight the way the world fights. We'll stay on the course. Jesus didn't say, in this world you might have trouble. He said, in this world you will have trouble. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name. And Peter wrote, 
Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed and the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Anyone who thinks that running this race is going to be a cakewalk is reading a different Bible than what I'm reading. We're being told to run with perseverance. We need to have a dogged determination not to get off the course that has been marked out for us. We can't let our culture and their values, which have moved so far away from Christ and, and, and the Word, where good is now being called evil and evil is being called good, and it has shifted so rapidly. We can't let our culture and their values stop us from running the race that has been marked out for us. We can't let political differences suck us into not responding in love to those we disagree with. We can't, we can't buy into the exchanging of insult for insult, or I'll teach them a lesson they won't soon forget. We are called to run this race with perseverance, meaning staying on the course marked out for us, no matter what anyone else does, no matter how pagan our culture becomes, because we are called to be light in a dark place. And the only way we can do that is if we stay on the course that has been marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance. And then the third let us statement is seen in verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. This is absolutely the key to being able to run with perseverance. Where's our focus? Who are we focusing on? What are we focusing on? Is it on that jam-packed schedule, that career, that, that conflict that is brewing, that hurt from the past, the betrayal? Or have we learned to fix our eyes on Jesus, to keep Him as our focus? Do we become distracted? Usually that doesn't happen intentionally, but sometimes we let circumstances and people and problems and agendas, our own and other people's agendas, and all those other voices distract us from the race we are to be running. Terry, my wife, has run, I think, six marathons. She has run 10K and 10-mile 10 races and 5Ks, but she had set for herself the goal of running a marathon, 26.2 miles. Her first marathon was in Duluth, Minnesota. It's called Grandma's Marathon. It, it wasn't a marathon just for grandmothers. Th that just happened to be the name of one of the main sponsors of the event, Grandma's Saloon, in downtown Duluth. Wanting to be the good, supportive husband, I told Terry I would drive her the 11-hour trip and I would be there to cheer her on. We drove up on a Friday. The race would be on Saturday. She picked up her packet that night and was told to be there in downtown Duluth with the other 10,000 runners that would be running. Be there at 6 in the morning. And they would then be bussed out to the starting line 26.2 miles away. And they would run the course along Lake Superior and end up at the finish line right outside of Grandma's Saloon. So I went with Terry that morning. I told her I'd be at the finish line to cheer for her. I asked her how long it would take her. She had put in the training so she knew how long it should take her, and she told me her goal, and then she got on the bus to be bussed out to the starting line. I found my place at the finish line, waited for the race to begin. 
Well, after a couple hours, the first runners began to cross the line. I knew Terry wouldn't be among the first ones. This was her first marathon. So I just started watching the other people running the race. And it was, it was really interesting. You had wheelchair athletes who amazingly rolled themselves 26.2 miles. You had people who were qualifying for the Boston Marathon. There was one couple who evidently had just gotten married, and they ran the entire marathon, him in a tuxedo, her in a wedding dress, holding hands. There was another guy who dyed his entire body green, like the Incredible Hawk. There was a guy who dribbled a basketball the whole race. I mean, I was just fascinated by all these different people running this race. They came in all sizes and shapes. Some crossed the finish line and collapsed. Others looked like they could go another 26.2 miles. Well, I looked at my watch and saw it was about time that Terry had set as her goal, so I started looking for her. I wanted to cheer her on for this great accomplishment she had achieved. But her goal time came and went. And another half hour came and went. And then an hour. And then an hour and 15 minutes came and went. And I started to get worried. I, I thought maybe she had injured herself and hadn't been able to complete the race. And I knew she'd be so disappointed. The number of runners now crossing the finish line had dwindled down to just a few, and I still hadn't seen Terry. And I thought I would walk back the course to see if I could find her and see if she was injured. And just as I started to walk back, my phone rang. I answered it. It was Terry. She said, where are you? I said, I'm at the finish line. I said, where are you? She said, I finished over an hour ago. I'm in the cool-down area. I completely miss seeing her cross the finish line. I miss cheering her on. And when the race organizers the next week sent a picture of Terry crossing the finish line, they did that for every one of the 10,000 runners who finished the race. They sent a picture out to every one of them crossing the finish line. When they sent us a picture of Terry, I realized I was no more than five feet from her. If I had reached over the rope, I probably could have touched her. But I didn't see her. Why? Because I was so distracted. I was watching all these other runners. And I wasn't watching the only one I wanted to see cross the finish line. When the Hebrew preacher tells us to let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, he understood how easy it is to become distracted in the most important race. How easy it is to become distracted from living out our faith. How easy it is to focus in on people and, and, and the problems we face and the storms we go through. It's the story of Peter out in the boat and walking towards Jesus after Jesus told him to come. When he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he was actually walking on the water. But Matthew tells us, but when he saw the wind, when he became distracted, when he saw the wind... He was afraid and began to sink. Peter wasn't the last person who was distracted by a storm and took their eyes off of Jesus. Folks, we need to learn what it means to fix our eyes on Jesus, to keep Him as the primary focus in our life. We need to run the course that has been marked out for us. And then let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. And let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And if I stop preaching right now, which I'm not going to, but if I was going to stop preaching right now, it would sound like I'm saying, 
running this race, living by faith, not quitting, it's all up to you and me. It, it almost sounds like it's all dependent on what we do and our strength and our willpower. It, it almost sounds like if we just roll up our sleeves and work hard and bite our tongue to keep us from saying something we know we shouldn't, that we'll be able to run this race and win this race in our own strength. Nothing could be farther from the truth. And the Hebrew preacher makes that so clear when he's telling us, listen, you have a choice. He said, who, speaking of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Now, don't miss this. So that you, so that you and me and every Christ follower, so that everyone who's chosen to run this race on the course marked out for us, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. What Christ has done for us on the cross is the only reason we can even think about running the race and living by faith. He will empower us. He will strengthen us. When we think we can't go on, He, the Holy Spirit, the, the Comforter, the Counselor, will step up beside us to carry us when we think we can't go on. It's exactly what Paul was telling the Colossians when he said, to this end I struggle. To this end I labor, struggling with all of his energy. His energy. Let that sink in. With all of his energy. I kind of like the odds when I'm running the race, not with my energy, but with his energy. I love this story. Maybe you saw it when it happened. I've been telling it ever since I saw it happen in the Barcelona Olympics. It, it illustrates perfectly what God wants to do in our life and what He wants to provide for us when we're running this race. It, it was Tuesday night of the Summer Olympics. It was the 400-meter semifinal race. The sprinters were in the starting blocks. The starter's gun sounded for a race that takes 45 seconds to run, and one runner went down like he'd been shot, grabbing his leg, falling to the ground. His father was watching from the stands. He said he felt something sink in his stomach. He lowered his head. He said the, the memory that flashed back was of the park near the old house. His son was only six then, and he was running a race with his dad. And he grabbed his hand and said, Where's the finish line, Daddy? Carry me to the finish line. The noise of the crowd snapped him back to reality. They were cheering. What were, what were they cheering? He looked up to see his son face twisted in pain, rising to his feet on the red oval track, waving off the medics who carried a stretcher. Derek Redman, a, a British sprinter whose Olympic dream was over, whose right hamstring had just snapped like a popsicle stick, was trying to complete the 400-meter race. He had half the distance to go. Because he couldn't walk, he began to hop. He hopped like a wounded fugitive, one step, a grimace, two steps, a yell. The son was crying right there in front of the whole world. The father had to come. He said he didn't really remember all the steps down from section 131, road 22, seat 25. He didn't really remember leaping over the railing and landing on the field or pushing the security guards away who were too stunned to stop him. The Olympics... He wasn't at the Olympics anymore. Jid Redmond was a parent outside a burning house hearing a cry through a window. And all he knew was, that's my son, and I have to get to him. And suddenly he was alongside of him. Dad, Derek said, 
grabbing him and throwing his arm around his shoulder and burying his head to hide the tears. Dad, get me back to lane five. I want to finish. And leaning on each other just like the old days, father and son made their way down the track while the stunned officials looked on frozen and the crowd and the whole world watching got this lump in our throats. The dad would later say, if if I tried to do it again, I don't think I could. After he'd taken his son where his son wanted to go across the finish line, the medical staff came up with the stretcher again and the father barked, no stretcher. He knew what his son wanted. He had been there with him all those years, through the good times, when he made the Olympic team, when he set the British record in the 400, and through the bad times, four operations on his Achilles tendon, the the countless other injuries that left him on crunches, unable to run as late as six weeks before the games. Derek was at stake out there, he said. If he had been taken off on a stretcher, he never would have run again. We had agreed no matter what, he was going to finish the race. He was going to say he got through the semifinals of the Olympic 400 meters. All he needed was a little support. I'm his father. I'm supposed to provide it. And so he did. And when he saw his son was okay, when the hamstring had been iced and wrapped and the tears dried, Jim Redman made his way back to his seat, stopping to apologize to every official along the way. And folks, that is exactly what the author and perfecter of your faith wants to do for you in those dark times when you think you can't possibly finish the race. When you feel exhausted and are about to lose heart, he simply says, lean on me. Struggle with all of my energy. Let me carry you across the finish line. He doesn't ever say to us, here's the course, just run it by yourself, or be ready for the wrath of an angry father. No way. Instead, he says, here's my plan. Now lean on me, and I'll carry you across the finish line. Choose to lean on me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Let me ask you, now that the baton has been handed to you, and you realize you're in the most important race you'll ever run, do you need to choose to lean on the only one who can make a difference? Do you need to choose to lean on the one who went to the cross so that you will not grow weary and lose heart? I'm absolutely sure he has already come to you this morning, and you don't need to leave this place thinking you're not going to make it. Or or you can't follow the course God has laid out for you. That is just too tough. All you have to do is choose to lean on Him and let Him carry you across the finish line. Let's pray together. Father, we're just pausing right now in this moment. You know us all so well. And, And you know that one that may be really weary this morning. It's been a struggle. You know that one that may be losing heart and they're thinking... I can't run this race anymore. May they sense your presence right there, lifting them up. May may they choose to lean on you and realize you are the only one who can empower them to finish that race. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.